Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we continue walking with our patriarch Abraham in Parsha Vayera and there's a pasuk, uh, there's a verse that says Abraham built an inn in Beersheba and called out there in the name of the Lord. So what is the connection between Abraham building an inn in, uh, in, in Beersheba and calling out the name of God? So our sages interpret the meaning of this verse and say, do not read, he called out, but rather he caused others to call out. At his inn in the harsh desert, in the harsh desert terrain of Beersheba, if you've ever been to Israel and you've been to Beersheba, it's really in the desert, Abraham would offer hospitality to, to strangers. This was the, his mitzvah par excellence, uh, we see in the opening of this parasha that he's sitting, uh, talking to God. It's, a, it's the third day after his Brit Milah. And uh, there's scorching sun and it's very hot outside. And Hashem uh, is, is talking to him, but he sends these guests to him, these angels, these guys, these people, to come so he could do the mitzvah of Oknases or the him and take him out of that sun. So we see that the way in which he greeted guests was beyond and above what anybody could do. Like imagine we do it in a comfortable city with a supermarket right next door and we, 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 we treat our guests to the best that we have, but he did it in the desert in the middle of nowhere. It's more, it says, that he planted an, uh, an, an eshel, which is also uh, called a tamarisk tree. An eshel could also mean an inn, but in reality, he had these tents that he erected that were like his inn, where people would stop and eat and drink and, and, and sleep and, and, and bathe, so they could continue. But also this tamarisk tree, what it says in the, in the Midrash, it says that he didn't plant one, he planted many, many, many of these huge trees. So when people were coming into the city, they would be, um, they would be protected by the sun and the, and the rain. So we see that here that Abraham loved doing this mitzvah. He loved to provide for his guests. guests. Um, but there was a punchline, it was not for free. So at the end of, of treating these people, Abraham would then say to them, what is of mine you haven't eaten? It is, it is the God of the world of whose you have eaten. It's not from me that you're being served all this food. It, it doesn't come from me, it comes from Hashem. So please, do birkat amazon, bench, and thank God for all the good he has given you. So this is the central aim of this mitzvah uh, for Abraham. Yes, he was a very kind person. He was, this is the attribute that uh, distinguish him, uh, distinguishes him. It's a hesed, love and kindness towards others. But in reality, the love and kindness that he excelled, that he gave to other people had a purpose. It had a purpose, and the sole purpose of this was to connect people to God, was to make people aware that every goodness that they had in their life came from Hashem. And this was his whole purpose of doing Ognasas Orehim, of, 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 um, of uh, doing the mitzvah of hospitality. So if a guest would decline to recite this blessing, 
that we do every time we, we eat bread and uh, when we eat other things we do after blessings, we, if they would say no, I'm not going to do it, uh, then what he would do is that he would bring them a, a humongous bill, like they had to pay ridiculous amounts of money for what he had given them like if you pizza, you eat a piece of steak here in a restaurant and it's $50 in Beersheba in the middle of nowhere it would be a thousand dollars so he would give them this this um, this bill and he would tell them who else gives you wine in the middle of the desert who gives you meat in the middle of the desert like this is a miracle that you can eat and have these lavish uh, feasts in the middle of nowhere uh, uh, who gives you bread? So faced with the prospect of massive debt, if people you know, you know people in three, in three ways. One is when they're drunk, another is when they're upset, when they're angry, and the third way you get to know a person is when you touch their, their pockets. So here you see that when he was touching their pockets, in the moment that he told them, okay, then you have to pay this bill, then the people would sit down and they would do the blessing. It was cheaper. So there is clearly something here that we must understand. Abraham's method of disseminating monotheism seems like in a single world extortion. Like, yeah, he was very nice. He was giving people everything. He was trying to, to pamper everybody, but there was a punchline. He wanted people to recognize Hashem. He wanted people to recognize that there was one God. And so the, the benefit of obtaining monetary and external acquiescences to these demands, those who did not wish to praise God, would pretend to do so in Abraham's presence and be on their way. So people are not dumb. They would say, okay, they will let, let him listen to whatever he wants to listen. We'll mumble the words and will leave. So yet the Midrash says concerning this very conduct, conduct that in, in Beersheba that God told Abraham my name was not recognized by my creators, by my creations I'm sorry, you caused my name to be recognized by my creations and I thus considered it as if you had been partnered with me in the world, in the world's creation apparently Abraham's methods had very real effect and on a grandiose scale, not to say the least. But if this practice was so successful, then how did it work? How can it be that by coercion, by uh, putting a gun in a person's head, you get what you want? How could coercion produce anything but one-time lip service? How could this be effective? Like, yes, you, you, you make someone do something, they'll do it because they're scared, because they're fearful, because they want to get rid of you, but eventually they'll come back to their ways. So how did Abraham do it? That he did it in a way that he pressured people, but at the end they ended up doing what he wanted. Not in a, in a moment, they, they continued doing it. So, so if we were speaking of, of a Jew who is coerced to perform a mitzvah or refrain from a transgression, he could, we, we could cite the ruling of Maimonides stating his loss of divorce. He says, if a man is obligated to divorce his wife but refuses to give the get, the, the document of divorce, the rabbinical court may physically compel him to consent. And if we know that if, if, a, if a man doesn't want to give his wife a divorce uh, document, a get, he cannot go back to the synagogue, he cannot go up to the Torah, uh, people will turn their faces against him, they, they, a lot goes on so that person will give the get to his wife. But when a Jew is forced to do as a Torah demands of him, 
he is considered to have acted of his own will. This despite the fact that according to Jewish law, a bill of divorce is invalid if not given uh, consensually. So there is a mystical basis to this, to this ruling, and uh, that is the godly soul. So as we know, we have two souls, we have a godly soul, Nefesh HaElokit, and we have an animal soul, which, uh, which is, uh, is an instinctive, uh, animalistic force inside of us. But in this case, we're talking of the godly soul, and it is this soul that comprises the underlying and most basic will of the Jew, because what happens is that this godly soul, this Nefesh HaElokit, is mamish mamish it's a true spark of hashem inside of each one of us you have it and it, 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 hashem's will really is your will in essence everything that hashem wants for you is what you want because it's one and the same so so at times this will is suppressed is suppressed and one may be urged to disregard torah law like we have this duality inside of us and as the altar rebbe says there these two kings that are uh, trying to fight for a city whichever one wins that's gonna be the king but the two of them cannot rule at the same time so a jew when his animal soul is in charge the other part, the godly soul, really becomes uh, suppressed. It becomes like, like, like it's in jail, like it cannot function because the other one takes over. So the more mitzvahs you do, the more Torah you learn, the more you're aware of your duality, the more you're working on yourself, the more strength your godly soul is gonna have. So it depends who is ruling. Either one is gonna rule inside of you. But the way that you live, the way that you think, that you speak, that you act, is gonna determine which one is in control. So this feeling, however, does not originate with the Jew and is rather the result of an external influence, namely the evil inclination which acts, acts upon him. So when a, a Jew doesn't want to do a mitzvah, when he doesn't want to go and do birkat amazon, when he doesn't want to wash for bread, when he doesn't want to uh, follow God, really, in truth, is a uh, it's an external influence it's something from the outside and it comes from the evil inclination which is the animal soul but in essence if that Jew would be able to get rid of that of that uh, let's say that that dirt that is covering the, the godly neshama then the godly neshama will shine out and he will want to do what the godly neshama wants him to do so in light of the above we would be able to understand the spiritual mechanics mechanics behind abraham's methods of coercion this however was not the case abraham imposed the worship of god upon every person that would wander into his into his tent in those days there was no such things as Jewish people in those days Abraham was the Ivrit he was the one from the other side he's the father of monotheism so every time he would bring people into this tent and he would make them see that there was a God that everything came from Hashem that person would start believing in one God and he was not dealing with a dichotomy of inner and outer wills if these people said they did not wish to praise God that is precisely what they meant and there would be no reason for them to make a, an external show so we must say that Abraham truly motivated his guests to sincerely praise God he, even though it looked like coercion he really motivated them 
otherwise there would have been no point of his actions. So while he surely seemed to have been compelling his guests to abide by his command, and this is what we must understand, he was somehow winding them over to a sincere and newfound belief in God. So his true purpose was true. He was true to himself because what we see from Abraham is that it's not only he wanted them to praise God and to be connected to God, he wanted it because that was a good thing for them too. He came from a place of caring, of really caring for other people, for love of other people. Not only for Hashem, but for other people. You know, I know many instances that a person goes through a very hard time in their life and they go to the rabbi. And the rabbi, what do they tell them? And they get so upset. They tell, the rabbi tells them, do you eat kosher? And the person says, no, I don't eat kosher. And they'll say, the rabbi will say, so start eating kosher. You'll see. It's going to help you. And people get so upset. They get very upset. But it's because they don't understand the, 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 the truth behind it. And we're going to see here with Abraham why he wanted people to praise Hashem. Why he wanted them to acknowledge God. Because... Yes, it's important to acknowledge God. We're here to reveal Hashem in this world. This is the whole purpose of, of our life. Everybody. The whole purpose of everybody in this world is to make Hashem, uh, to make a dwelling place for God in this, in this world. To bring Him down here with our actions, with what we do, with what we eat, with what we think, with what we say. But at the same time, when we are acknowledging Hashem, we're also being good to us it, it, because we create a vessel inside of us we create a kailim we create um, a, a medium a conduit in which divinity can flow down to us so a story is related in the Talmud concerning the Mishnahic sage Rabbi Elazar who once he was once traveling and encountered a man who was extremely ugly and he, Rabbi Elazar said to, her, to him Oh, empty one, how ugly you are. Are all the people where you are from as ugly as you? And the man couldn't believe that such a sage was saying this to him, such a harsh words. So he said to him, go to the craftsman who made me and tell him this. Don't, don't tell me I'm an ugly man. Go to, God, to the God, to go to the person, to, to God, to the craftsman, the one that made me. The vessel you have made is ugly. So we ask, did Rabbi Elazar not know before the man's answer that the body of a man is the work of God? Like if the guy is ugly, it's not his fault. Hashem made him that way. It's not, how are you going to go and tell a person you look so ugly? This is against Torah. You cannot do that. So how can it be that such a sage from the Mishnaic area, Rabbi Elazar, would go and tell someone that he's ugly? So further, how is it possible that, that this can be, that a person like him would do this. So the story may be explained in the following way. The man indeed was ugly. That, however, was not Rabbi Elazar's concern. He was not looking at the physical of the man. Rabbi Elazar saw the man in spiritual terms. He saw his neshama and found him to be spiritually ugly. His soul, his soul, soul was devoid of any merit. He had nothing inside of him that could stand for him. So in this condition, the man lacked even the sensitivity to recognize how serious 
his situations was and due to this coarseness would not have been able to appreciate any moral guidance or advice. So Rabbi Elazar could have that, had to do it in this way. He had, he had to give this man something shocking. He had to be shocked. He had to come out of his body. Like if someone tells you you're ugly, you're gonna be like, what are you saying? Like he had to be moved because that's the only way in which the coarseness of this man could have been uh, destroyed. So, and so it was surprised and hurt, the man searched his heart and promptly arrived at an answer. So he had to go and look inside of himself uh, because that was where he was attacked. And he's, he, he, the, the only true answer, go to the craftsman who made me and tell him, the vessel you have made is ugly. At that moment he was reminded of the God who created him and not only that, but a God that his craft, is a craftsman and fashions his vessels with purpose and meaning. So when, when Rabbi Elazar asked him, why are you so ugly? And he answered with the name of God in his, in his mouth, this reminded him that he is a creation of God. Hashem made him, Hashem fashioned him, and this made him ponder if he's living up to what Hashem made him uh, to be. So the, the man had become poignantly aware of an idea that just a moment before didn't exist in his mind. In his moment of humiliation, he regained a sensitivity that lifted him from his former ugliness and caused him to instantly intensify his relationship with Hashem. So after their encounter, Rabbi Elazar asked forgiveness to this man. He went to him and said, I'm so sorry I said this. This is really very evil that I said what I said. But there was a purpose for it because I needed to take you out of your coarseness. And the man answered, I will forgive you only if you will not become accustomed to, to speaking this way. So the vast majority of people and even those who are ugly in their deeds and character, do not need to be scorned in order to arrive at a spiritual breakthrough. The man did not stipulate, however, that Rabbi Elazar should never again speak this way. For as our story conveys, there are times for certain people in rare cases when a spiritual ascent comes about only through the initial breakdown of a callousness that is brought about a moment of despair. So the story, what is teaching us is that in our own lives we see sometimes we're, we're broken sometimes someone says something to us that hurts us that humiliates us that makes us feel bad but in reality we should not take it like oh this person is really a bad person we should say look at it inside of us because it's a it's a person talking it's Hashem talking through a person he's trying to awaken us so along these lines there's another story that can bring us to understand this story a little better and it's an episode about the fifth leader of Chabad, the Rebbe Rashab. And in the early years of the Rebbe's leadership, a man came to him to ask for a blessing. In a, in, of something very serious was going on in his life. And he came to ask for Abraham. And the Rebbe looked at him and says, there's nothing I can do for you. I cannot help you. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you. So the man left the Rebbe's uh, home and he went into the street and he was crying and crying and crying, couldn't stop crying. At that moment, the Rebbe's older brother, Rabbi Salman Aaron, passed by and found the man in tears. And Rabbi Salman asked the man why he wept so much, what was going on, why was he crying like that? And so the man, he related to him what had happened with the, with the Rebbe's reply that he couldn't give him Abraham. 
So Rabbi Salman entered into the Rebbe's uh, office and asked bluntly, what, why did you say that to this poor man? He's crying like crazy in the street. Can't stop crying. So the Rebbe put on his gartel. The gartel is like, um, like, a, like a belt that they tie around their waist. Uh, the Hasidim do this when they're going to pray. And what it does is that it separates the animalistic part of us from our the animalistic from the godly and so he put on his gartel and he went outside and he said to the man he said to the man uh, that he could come in and that he could bless him now so but why had the rebbe refused to bless him in the first place in such a manner as he did why did the man had to go through that uh, breakdown so the rebbe could come and bless him afterwards so here we see the same the same the same it's the same idea we see here that the, the Rebbe saw in this man that he had no merits for him to be able to give him a braha so he could, so he could have a blessing. Like you have to be a vehicle for blessings. If you don't have inside of you merits, no matter who blesses you, you cannot receive a blessing. To be able to be a blessed person, you need to also work on yourself and have a, a merit, have deeds that will stand in your favor so these blessings can come down to you. So we can come now to understand this story in, in the same manner as we have, have explained the story of Rabbi Al-Lazar. The man had come to the Rebbe with serious problems and, uh, and his situation was terrible. The Rebbe said that in a man's present spiritual state, he was not worthy of such an extraordinary blessing. He was not a vessel. So he had to break him so he would cry, so he would arouse mercy in God, so something would change inside of him, so he would be a vehicle to be able to receive Abraha. So you know, in life, this is the, the way. When you're going through a hardship, do something good. Do something that will stand in your, in your favor. Eat kosher. The, the rabbis are right when they tell you, do you eat kosher? And you get upset. They're right. What they're saying to you is do something that will change. That will change you. Because when you're able to change you, the situation can change too. But if you're the same, nothing will change. Everything will stay the same. Because if you don't change, then how can you receive the braha? So in this rejection, however, caused the man to become so anguished over his plight that he could do nothing but cry out to God with a broken heart. At that very moment, he was renewed and became a fit a vessel for receiving the blessing. So Abraham's method, the methodology of Abraham was exactly this. The ugly man was not receptive to hear about living a life of purpose. Thus, Rabbi Eliezer did not even begin to speak with him about that. When he encountered this ugly man, the man was an ugly man, in and out. If, if, if Rabbi Eliezer would have spoken him, to him about growing, about connecting to God, about doing mitzvahs, the man would look at him and say, you're a nut. Crazy, leave me alone. He would have not been able to receive that knowledge. So the man who came to seek the aid of the Rebbe Rashab was unable to receive God's blessing and was therefore denied. Yet after this, the, facing despair, each of these men was changed. 
So to Abraham did not present obstinate guests with a bill to blackmail them into praising God. It's not that he, either you praise God or you have to pay the bill. That was not his intent. That was not what he wanted to achieve. The point was rather to create a situation in which the guests would become sharply aware of their helplessness. It was like to create a situation in which they would say, oh, you know, he's right. I'm in the middle of nowhere. If he wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't be fed, and I wouldn't be given something to drink, most likely I would have died in this desert. And if it's not because there's a God, and there's a person like Abraham in the world, and there's so much blessing and kindness, what would have been of me? So this would then break through the coarseness that prevented them from understanding the validity of Abraham's request on their own. We now may also understand the precise wording of this Midrash in saying when they would see how he was distressed, then they would say, Blessed is God of the world of whose we have eaten. It was not coercion that made them repeat the words they were told. It was circumstance of distress. Distress. This is what jarred them from their consciousness and propelled them to a new level of spirituality. When people go through distress, it's, it's hard to accept, but when we're, when we're squeezed, huh, olive oil comes out. When we're not squeezed, we're, we, we don't re re react, we don't, we don't come to our senses. So the level to which every person that aspires to be uh, more connected to Hashem is by being a aware of where all these blessings come from and this is what Abraham was doing this was his whole purpose his whole idea of that inn of that hotel in the middle of the desert and giving to their guests their food and their drinks and their and their rest and, and, and water to wash their feet and to refresh themselves that was the whole purpose of it Abraham would thus engage his guests with proofs and reasoning, ultimately persuading them to become true believers of God. So we have to understand that in those days, people really were idol worshipers. They, it's not like today. In those days, people really were praying to the, to the, to the trees and the stars and the moon. But when they, they came to Abraham, they realized that the moon is not the one that's feeding me. We, would, it's, we see, however, that Abraham would confront an exceptionally obdurate guest who would see that all of his explanations were of no effect, Abraham would then proceed to break through the unusual coarseness of his guest and in one careful orchestrated moment of distress, the previous explanation would begin to penetrate and the guest would now know the truth and exclaim, bless is God of the world of whose we have eaten. So his whole purpose, Abraham's whole purpose in life was to spread awareness that there was a God in the world that takes care of every person and that our lives are not meant only to find pleasure in this world, to find a good meal and a good place to sleep, but to also be mediums to make his presence known, known in the world. That's our purpose in life. Everybody's. Each person with their own tools, with their own goodness, with everything they have, with how Hashem made them, is here to bring the presence of God into the world. When you have a person that is very, very intelligent and he comes with a cure of cancer, for example, God willing, one day soon, 
He is revealing God in the world. He's bringing refua. He's bringing the healer to the world. So everything you do should be done with this awareness. Uh, when you eat, when you sleep, when you wake up, when you walk, when you get dressed, everything should be done in that awareness. You should be here to emulate God and to be also uh, a person that brings God into the world, that makes him real. So I want to leave you here. I wish you a blessed week. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you. Thank you.